Welcome to another episode of Foreign, Domestic and Forbidden, the podcast about books and ideas. I'm Tim Trash. And I am Joaquin Lobo. And we'll be your hosts for the next hour for the 30th time. Joaquin, how are you? <laughs> 30th time? I'm so... <laughs> every time you say those numbers, I always think we were, we were going to do this only 10 times. And yeah. now we exceed that 10 times for by by 20 more yeah i'm fine tim thank you for i'm dry it's not raining in in, in the bay area so that's yeah. a nice change i always complain about the lack of rain in in my neck of the woods now yeah. i'm i'm just begging for this thing to stop so i don't <laughs> want these trees to fall on my house way too way too wet yeah and i was and, I, I was I was early this morning. I was at the beach, and the roads are taking a beating, and also the parts of the beach have broken off and are now in the sea, and uh, lots of damage from the flooding, from the high tides. Um, but it's also kind of beautiful. I mean, it's kind of that it looks totally like a moonscape out there now. So it's it's That's really nice. beautiful. It also gives us a good excuse to talk about the weather. I know, I know. Well, well, we really have bad weather here right now. I mean, in other areas of the country, it might just be rain. But in California, it's a catastrophe. And uh, we have had mudslides and things sliding off. And people have died already here. So it's it's no joke. Uh, and, and even in our backyard, um, the the grounds really can't absorb the water anymore it's just like it's 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 the sponge is full yeah yeah i drove yesterday i was thinking of you because i went to japan town i have a i have a cousin who is a a stewardess in aero mexico and she was in town for a couple days so we went to japan town and just crossing the the bay bridge was insane the winds yeah. and it was really scary then at some point stop and i was very happy that when i drove back everything was fine but it, it's just too much my dear friend yeah but the good news uh is that we have a fantastic guest we have uh liliana bloom who's a novelist and fiction writer from mexico from the north of mexico from the state of durango and she's a friend. She's a good friend of both you and I, uh, Tim. Um, we met uh, at that event that uh, we attended in San Luis Potosí, was it? San yes. Luis Potosí, invited by our dear friend, uh, you and I, by Mauricio Montiel. I don't know if, if Mauricio also invited you, Liliana, or you were just part of an official cluster of, of guests. I was just passing by and decided to get it. No, this looks like a nice place to hang out and have a have a couple of drinks. Uh, So one of the best things about that um, uh, conference of crime writers was that I I met Liliana and I became acquainted with her fiction. Uh, Liliana is the author of a lot of collections of short stories and quite a few novels. The first one that I read and enjoyed a lot is called Pandora. Um, and then after Pandora, I read El Monstro Pentapodo. Uh, more recently, uh, Cara de Liebre. And I was just uh, looking at Amazon and I, I just realized that you have a new book, Liliana, and I'm so jealous and happy for you. I didn't even know that you have a new novel. 
And I started to read the description. I was like, oh, shit. That, that looks a lot like the book I'm writing. So I cannot read that. <laughs> I will not buy that book until I publish my book because it's not the same, but there are a couple similarities that completely freaked me out. So thank you very much, Liliana, for, for publishing that book before Killing I Killing your idea. No, so what, what book do you mean? My teenage, my young adult novel? I guess the one that just came out, El Extraño Caso de Lenny Goleman. Lenny Goleman, yeah, with a golem in it. Goleman, oh, yeah. Wow. yeah. Yeah, it has a little... Right, right, Goleman. <laughs> Goleman, yeah. Oh, so, see, we have similar thinking. <laughs> I <Yeah>. guess. <laughs> yeah, so I well, won't read it. I'm happy for you, but I won't read it now. <laughs> Until you finish yours, okay. Until I finish mine. So welcome, welcome to the show, Liliana. It's a real pleasure to see you and to to share this hour with you. Uh, same thing. I'm so glad you invited me. And we, Juvenal and I, saw each other a couple of years later. Remember in Toluca. So yeah. But we're always in touch, and Team Trash too. You know, in Facebook, and we just. Keep an eye on each other. So I'm, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> I won't complain about my weather. It's just dry and cool. <laughs> yeah. you, you did, before we started recording, you did actually complain about the weather. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know you had more, so I just... <laughs> yeah. I complain about my country and other uh, fashion, but not the weather. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, we have a happy topic for today's episode. Uh, Tim, do you want to to introduce the topic for us? Yeah, sure. Um, so we are going to talk today about first love. I don't know why that always comes around the sort of the, the, the turn of the year, whenever, whenever the year's turn, uh, new year starts. I'm reminded of times when I had a lot, a lot of time to read and just hole up in my bedroom at my parents' place and hide from the family and, and the relatives and just, just read. And so I was thinking we could talk uh, today sort of about first love in books, first love in whatever we can come up with that can be people, that can be animals, food, dishes, countries, uh, cafes, uh, whatever we can come up with. But sort of the first stirrings of something that turns out to be important to yourself, something that pulled you into a new way of life, a new way of thinking, a new way to deal with the world, or just a really beautiful escape into some other world. So, so Liliana, to put you on the spot, the guest, <laughs> <laughs> any first loss that you want to mention first? Yes, I, I was listening to you, and I guess reading and writing, uh, are my biggest love, I mean, after dogs. <laughs> but uh, I remember when I was little, I had a sort of um, very unhappy childhood, uh, very abusive father and so, but sometimes I will spend a lot of time with my grandmother and she will tell me stories that I thought she was 
like telling me classic stories, you know. But then years later, I found out that they were all invented by her. And I guess she made them up as she was talking to me. Oh. And I guess that just stayed with me. And then um, I've never liked dogs, but I had um, plush animals when I was little. So I remember I, I was very a very lonely girl and I had few friends. So I spent a lot of time by myself and my animals. So I made stories for them, very dramatic stories, which sometimes will last like days. You know, I, I put them to bed and then we continue tomorrow. No? So it was mm -hmm. sort of like writing novels uh, verbally. And that's the way I have always understood the world through stories. So I guess when later on I decided I wanted to be a writer, I guess all that is behind there. And then I worked in the library when I was in college. I remember hmm. that while I was listening to you and I work in acquisitions in KU in one of the humanities libraries. So I read all day, like maybe five or six novels a week from oh, all the, yeah. so that was my paradise. So I guess, hmm. yeah, that was my first love for work mm -hmm. or my dream job. And the stories my grandmother told me, I guess it was my first love to fiction telling or writing too. Yeah. Have, have you ever tried to write down any of your grandmother's stories? I don't remember them. Oh. Uh, it's just that I have a very terrible memory. But then, like, I guess when I was all, a little bit older, I tried to look for books or ask people about do you know this story and they say like no nobody knew them so oh. and too bad she's already dead so yeah, Liliana, yeah. I'm, I'm curious because you are a super super dark writer and, and your stories are like really really intense and that's something that i really like about your fiction that um that Sometimes you're darker than I am, and that, that's like so great. <laughs> because if someone said, oh, you know, you're really like um, perverse and you write this, it's like you haven't read Liliana Bloom. She she can do like really dark and perverse stuff. Do you think that some of those stories or some of those first loves from from childhood managed to make it into into some of your books, your short stories, your novels? I not not those stories because they were pretty stories but okay. I guess um, my father one of the ways he kind of tortured me he he always said that I was a bad girl I mean like an evil girl so oh. I oh. that like sort of stuck in me and I have always been afraid of being an evil person Mm. And I try not to be. So I guess uh, by exploring the dark in my characters, the, their evil, and by reading true crime and all those stories that I read, um, I try to like understand it better. And I guess that's a way of like, curarme um, en salud, how you say, like, no, I'm not like that. I'm different, but I like to explore it. So I guess it might come from there. And my grandmother's stories were like uh, something very nice, like an oasis in my life. They were, yeah. What an interesting contrast. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, medicine totally. too. <laughs> I like that. So what about you? How about you, Tim? I want to go last. You want to go last? Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I think my childhood was much less dramatic, um, but um, I wasn't very happy with my childhood either. Um, it's it. I don't know. I, I I always longed not to live with my family in very deep ways. Um, I think I always felt that I had ended up in the wrong family, or that somehow the whole setup just didn't quite work. And I really, I wanted to be. <laughs> I wanted to go to boarding school, and I always wanted to 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 be an orphan being sent to boarding school. That was sort of my my. I mean. I probably wouldn't have liked being an orphan or going to boarding school, but it was sort of my dream. And there was a series, a book series by the British author Enid Blyton. And she wrote many, many series of young adult and children's books. Um, but one of them, and I only found that out actually yesterday, one of them was called St. Clair's. But it had a second and quite different life in Germany where they took the original books, but then added more books written by German authors under the Enid Blyton name. And so in Germany, the series was called Honey and Nanny, Honey und Nanny. Uh, so those are twin girls who are sent to boarding school by their parents and first have a horrible, horrible time adjusting to the new routines, but then make a go of it. And it's really books that my sister was given by relatives. And then I read them after her. And, and I love that, that just like you were just, just with other kids and you had some awful teachers and whatever, but it was this, this summer camp atmosphere. And I preferred that over actually living at home. So so that was really sort of my first love of, of feeling, oh, I want to, I want to, I want to go to boarding school. And so I read a lot of Enid Blyton, like the five friends and what have you, and but but St. Clair's. So if anybody wants to dig those up, St. Clair's. So yeah, what about you? Maybe writers can have happy childhoods. Maybe it's part of why you know, yeah, but 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 I do want to point out that mine was not very dramatic. I was I was not like um, I mean I mean weird shit happens in families, but but at least sort of from the outside, it was a very sort of cut and dry normal uh, normal family. I just I, I found it to be very stifling more than exactly. anything. Exactly, I didn't have anything horrible happening to me, but I was really bored and dissatisfied, and that. That, of course, made me want to read books because I was bored with my what was going on right there at home, and I, I, I wanted to read books. But I wouldn't say that my first loves were books. I think my, my first loves were my mother, my godmother, and my grandmother. And because I wanted to please them, and they were really intelligent, sophisticated, smart women, they liked poetry. So mm. when I was probably like six or seven, 
my grandmother used to make me memorize a poem for her birthday. So I discovered poetry around that time, and I started to read her favorite poet, a Catholic poet from the 19th century, Amado Nervo, from the north of Mexico. And I used to memorize poems, and I remember the one that she liked the best. And Liliana, you probably remember this from when you were young, called En Paz. Muy cerca, <laughs> Muy cerca de mi ocaso. Yo te bendigo vida, <laughs> porque nunca me diste ni esperanza fallida, ni trabajos injustos, ni pena inmerecida, porque veo al final de mi duro camino que yo fui el arquitecto de mi propio destino. Remember that poem? Vida, nada me debes, vida, estamos, estamos en, paz. en paz. It's a classic, <laughs> a very canonical 19th century poem that generations of, of Mexicans, you know, knew by heart, just like Liliana does, like, like I do. Just the last two sentences. And he was a very handsome poet, too. And like a think so? Wow. Ah, well, among poets? Yes, he was. I think Lopez Velarde was really handsome. I never thought of Amado Nervo <laughs> as handsome. Lopez Velarde was like, wow, like really good looking. No, you know, in the writer's world, uh, it's easier to be good looking. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. No, and, and then from poetry, you know, I, I read a lot of poetry and I read not very interesting collections of poetry because we, you know, we had we had old books at home and I, I used to go to my grandfather's library and take books from his library. But I do remember that the first novel that I absolutely loved because I just... I just went into it with such passion and interest. It was another 19th century novel by Manuel Paino called Los Bandidos de Rio Frio. And that was just like, you know, Paino was like a Mexican Alexander Dumas. And he was just like an amazing writer. So I read this novel that was like 11, 1200 pages long. And I was so proud of my achievements because I could read such a big, heavy, fat book. Uh, published by Editorial Porrua. You know, they had like these really cheap books. But they were great because they, they published the classics. Remember, Liliana, they had every everything. Porrua had every single important author in its um, yeah. Two catalog. columns, very Two columns. tiny <laughs> handprint, yeah. Print, yeah. For young people, yeah. For young people. So that was, that was my, my, that's how I got to, to love poetry and fiction, I think. So there's, there's of course, sort of, sort of the, the, the first, first love. Um, but then there's sort of in, in, in later teenage years, sort of a, a second first love, which doesn't mm -hmm. kind of make sense, but sort of. Um, so another first love that gets you actually deeper into the things that you really want to explore maybe and who was that for you guys like either an author or 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 a, or a genre or something else that that made you think oh this is where i want to spend my time sort of coming from the the early storytelling or the early poetry into the into the realm of first love that is it's not quite sexual, maybe, but definitely 
sensuous and 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 seduces you like to to your new life to your new outlook on life well for me it was three books or authors that really in when i was in uh secundaria which i don't like high school no like high school middle, middle school middle school i read um the name of the rose by umberto eco oh. and i was like so like i couldn't let it down and when i finished i i had a, like a depression like how am I gonna feel like this again? So I guess later I I I say like I wanna write and somehow make others feel at least a bit like this that, that I felt. And then mm -hmm. time passed and I happened to meet uh, when I was in university, I had an English class and the professor had us read a lot of things, but one of them was a short story by Margaret Atwood that was mm -hmm. called rape fantasies uh, mm. and I was like mind blown and I said like oh and then I with that I discovered Margaret Atwood and she became like my goddess to to this day right she's like there is no higher power than she <laughs> and then when I started writing after college and I was I was married by then um, I noticed that my writing was very different to what other writers around me were doing which was mostly things about violence in the frontier with the united states and mexico and narco thing you know drugs and uh, shootings and that so what i did was about women women and what, what things that happen like in this feminine world and they all look down like oh, that's not worth it that that's like beneath no like it's and then I discovered um, Rosario Castellanos, especially her short story collection, uh, which is called Album de Familia, where there is a short story, Cabecita Blanca. And I was like, hey, I'm not, I'm not wrong. This is just different. It doesn't mean I have to do the kind of things they do. So for me, Rosario Castellano was like, it's okay to write about women who experience things that women do, because it was a very, very masculine, narco <laughs> literature world. So I guess those um, three books or authors really set me in the way. And I guess that's from where I take from, yeah. And I'm, uh, as your reader, I'm so grateful that you're not another writer from the north of Mexico writing narco novels or narco stories because uh, i'm not yes, crazy no. about them i i think that you know they they were interesting when you know a long time ago uh there was something new and fresh about that but i was never a big fan of that and what you write about women i think is super interesting it also feels very pertinent in mexico that's a country where you know um men seem to hate women and uh, and women have to pay a very high price for that for that hatred it's just mind-blowing that the violence that women suffer in mexico um can be so insidious and, and 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 you know it's like a bottomless pit in mexico and your yeah. books deal with that violence deal with that you know very dark side of of, of our of our country and it must be quite a haunting 
task to do it, Liliana. Yeah, it, and it's, it's like what surrounds us. We have an average of 11 feminicides every day, which is slow because there are like 20 women who just disappear and they're not counted in that. And on the other side, there is, especially in the writer's world, in the, a lot of the men who write, they just think like, if women read you and if you are a woman who writes and your characters are female, then it's like second grade literature. And we'll still right. have that. And, and it's very hard sometimes, but um, it's also very nice when we, when we can be there and they just have to, they say like, oh, okay. You're yeah. just published because you're a woman. <laughs> yeah. No, but also, you know, if you look at any newspaper and you see who writes for those newspapers, it's like if, if a newspaper has 20, 20 writers uh, publishing a column every day or every week, like 19 are men and there's only one woman. It's a very uneven, unfair uh, play field for women in Mexico, both in the arts and also in politics and in media and so on. Yeah, we're a bit behind, uh, but we're trying to catch up. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. Joaquin, anything that seduced you to come over to the dark side of things? Yes, Teresa Diaz Lopez, my first love on, on fourth, fourth grade. Well, actually, in Mexico is like eighth or ninth grade. Um, no, I mean, I discovered women, and I, I was so happy that there were women on the on the universe. And I I think that that, that was, you know, uh, realizing that, um, and it wasn't sexual, I was too young, but I was always very attracted for 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 the presence of, 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 of women around me. And that, that's been something that has um, really made a difference in, in, my, in my life, in my personal life and in my interest. Um, I, I guess that exploring that, you know, exploring otherness, exploring other ways of, of, of seeing the world, other ways of, of, of thinking about the universe has always been very interesting for me. Um, and, and then um, much later, um, becoming a father, that's been one of my greatest loves to, to, to become the father of a child that sort of completed the, you know the um, the wonder of, of of being in touch with the other because one thing is to fall in love with a with another person with another grown up person and a very different thing is to fall in love with your child um, and to me those two have been the um, experiences that make me think of being alive of something something that that makes a lot of sense beyond literature and beyond poetry and beyond storytelling that to me that's far more interesting and important than than any any book i i, I read or, or or write there is no substitute for for the experience of of human love um love for another person or love for a child well now i feel bad i didn't mention my two kids <laughs> <laughs> Well, just don't tell him that you were on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, oh, actually, yeah. Uh, Jim wasn't asking about that. He was asking about first love when you were a kid, right? Like that transition. A teenager. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, jumped yeah. the gun. I jumped the gun, yeah. and I just yeah. You totally, you totally jumped, <laughs> jumped many years ahead. Totally fine. I, I'll take it back to to the teenager, and and <laughs> I, I will also my leave out all kinds of things. Um, I think that. I mean, there are many more authors that that created sort of a network or a web for me, but I think the the two that stand out sort of around the time I was fourteen or fifteen and and reading a lot were Edgar Allan Poe and and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, which mm -hmm. which in later years, I mean, I don't read them much anymore. Uh, Sherlock Holmes is still one of my favorite figures, but not because I'm reading uh, the novels anymore. But there was something to the atmosphere of those books that really resonated with me. The, the kinkiness of Poe, who always, like his characters, are always in love with the wrong person. They have always dark secrets. Um, there are always unspeakable crimes unspeakable happenings lurking on the next page and in this atmosphere of Victorian England of fog dark skies and and strange and and menacing mysteries and, and to me that was those were all the things that were missing in my life which never seemed very mysterious or kinky or whatever and and I fell in love with the atmosphere of, of the transgressive, of the doing the things you're not supposed to do. Because in Poe's short stories, uh, which I also don't read really anymore, um, there's always something going on that shouldn't be there. There's always something that is from a moral standpoint or at least mainstream standpoint is despicable or wrong um and i like reading about that and so so that opened me i think to the trappings of horror and um i started reading other horror authors but not like horror horror like in in slasher or in uh violence i i always liked the atmospheric density much more than than any anything real happening and there's not really that much happening in in Edgar Allan Poe anyway um so those two and and that also I feel showed me a template of and that's really that sounds really stupid but anyway showed me a template of how to interact with other human beings and I don't think that that was necessarily a good thing but I approached them sort of in the Poe and Conan Doyle way and looking at people as perpetrators and or victims of their weird passions. And that appealed to me. And so I, I think I've always been stuck in that rut that unless the love for someone where something doesn't have something weird about it, something slightly wrong, it's not worth entertaining. 
I mean, the 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 the, the most boring thing to me is falling in love in high school having the same boyfriend, girlfriend in college, then getting married, having a nice little career with kids and everything, and then retiring at 60 and dying at 75 and having had a great life and you were awesome and everybody liked you. And and it, it, something is missing. Yeah, I mean, there, there should be sort of dark secrets, weird passions, like secrets that can be unearthed by other generations, you know, odd detours. And so I, I think those two authors, among many others, really lured me into thinking about myself in those darker terms. Are you going to leave many dark secrets for others to find later on? Sorry? Are you going to leave like um, oh, dark yeah. secrets, uh, like I, skeletons in the closet for somebody to find I, later? I, I, I hope so. I hope so that people... I mean, well, I, I don't think anybody will, will be interested in digging up too much. And I don't have kids, so they won't dig. Um, so when I die, I probably just die. And it's um, gone with the wind. But but yeah, it, it, it it's nice when people turn out to be other people than who we thought they were, where they had a second life, where they did other stuff. That that appeals to me, like these these secret identities that people have. Like if I die, like if if somebody would find out that oh, Stefan was a spy for Cuba or. Uh, he, I don't know, had an underground labyrinth where he kept golden treasure and whatever. I, that that would really that would really appeal to me. I don't I don't think I don't live up to that premise, but still, I find it very enticing. It's really interesting to listen to you guys talk about these issues these topics because i read your books and i can totally see the relationship between what you're saying and the things you write of course you had to love poe when you were a kid that's why you write these <laughs> crazy books and uh and even if you don't read poe anymore i think that because you read it so young it's still very much inside of you and uh, it yeah. nurtured a lot of your uh intellectual curiosity and outlook and and I, I i really like that actually i just purchased the norton edition of the poe uh, oh. story so it's cool. i i can let go of poe i you know i i read it you know for many many years but i i have a a renewed interest in in poe lately and i'm not surprised that you're invoking his name because there is something you know, really, I don't know, sort of um, present uh, these days, something has bringing him back that seems to be very much out there in the culture, mm -hmm. maybe because we're living in really dark, fucked up, fucked up times, and there are horrible things going on, and Poe is, you know, the master of the macabre and the mysterious. Yeah, it's very unsettling. Really, and 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 Samantha Schweblin, I think, and and we've mentioned her right. before on the podcast. While she is doing something else entirely, but but the effect of the stories is similar. Like this, 
this this quietly unsettling quality they have. Okay, let me ask, since you're bringing up Samantha Shriveling and we have Liliana Bloom, who's part of that generation of women from Latin America, who's writing, you know, like Mariana Enriquez and Shriveling and um there are a couple more writers from argentina one from ecuador there is this like really interesting group of women liliana from your generation who are choosing to write a very very dark uh fiction that somehow um i don't know i'm not going to say why or i i, I just love to hear your thoughts about why do you think this is happening yeah this sort of uh like they say, like a boom in female writers writing about other, like not the classic things women used to write about, right? right. So I guess um, I guess it's not that there are a lot of, I mean, there, there are not more female writers right now, but this just that we are being paid attention and published more than before. And also, and I think the the hard topics, you know, like uh, Maria Fernanda Ampuero for, from Ecuador, right. her book, uh, Pelea de Gallos, is like, um, it's really unsettling, you know, and I guess is we are finally deciding to write about the things women are not supposed to write, because we have, especially in Latin America, I guess we have always these men in higher positions that tell you, even when you're in a book presentation, there is this man who always raises his hand and says like, why do you have to write such ugly things, ugly topics? Look at your face. One, one old man oh. told me that like, look at your little face. How can you write so horrible things? Oh, wow. So, so there are all these things we're oh not allowed God. to talk about, right? Yeah. So, and I guess I'll, there is another thing, I guess a lot of women are reading a lot of women now, because I guess for the first time, we find ourselves in those female characters. Because before, when we read like the more classic things men wrote, we were always like the sex symbol, the dead woman, so the detective right. can resolve the mystery. We right. were like just seen through the eyes of men, and we were and we didn't identify with those women in the books. So I guess now it's like we're writing more, we're getting published, and also we have a lot of women who want to read uh, things that women write. So I guess it's a very nice cycle. Doesn't mean that we don't read men, but I guess we are, we are finding ourselves a little bit more in what other women write. It is not surprising to hear you say that women want to read what women are writing because they can see themselves in these stories. I mean, that's been going on since you mentioned Rosario Castellanos. I'm thinking of very popular authors like Margaret Atwood or Isabel Allende, who have a very large readership. But it is really interesting that, that your generation is writing very, very dark short stories and very, very dark novels. That to me is 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 really, really remarkable. I, I enjoy it very much. Sometimes I'm like, wow, that's so intense. It really freaked me out. I, you know, I wouldn't write stuff that's so dark myself. Maybe because I cannot write it. Maybe because I, you know, I, I'm just not that type of, of novelist or short story writer. But, you know, it really strikes me as, as, a, as an interesting feature of this generation. 
but you know, remember when we were in Guayas del Crimen together, there was this um, uh, Finnish writer, uh, Antti and, to my name. Yeah. So I, was the, I always wonder, I read three of his novels and they're mm -hmm. very good, but I, it happens the same when I see Netflix and I see this very great series in, from Iceland which I really love and, you know, like trapped and that. And I always say like, oh, they really have to think like to write crime novels in those countries. They really have to use their imagination. Right. And, and, I, and they do it very well. But like in, I guess women in Latin America, what we live is very dark. But yes. right now in Mexico, like currently, we know that if we are walking in the morning from our house to our job or to the university and back, we can just disappear and just be yeah. found somewhere rape and death. So I guess we cannot see the world. That's, that, <laughs> that's such a great point. I love that you mentioned anti-tomainen because writers in Scandinavia are like writers in Japan. They have no crime. Like nothing happens and they are so dark and they, you know, they're masters of crime fiction or crime cinema. But but in Latin America, it's like if you're a woman, you know everything that, you know, a human can know about, about being in danger. Yeah, so we have like very dark lenses because it's very dark in here. So I guess that is not that we like dark topics, it's just what we know and it just surrounds us and it bleeds down in our paper <laughs> somehow yeah is there some love that has struck you in later years something that came sort of like lightning out of a clear sky just and struck you and seduced you to change your lives or uh yeah do something else entirely uh, take you into a new direction, something that you never thought about and suddenly you were, oh my God, I need to do this for the rest of my life or I want to taste this for the rest of my life or I want to breathe it in for the rest of my life. Something that made you fall in love and feel a little bit like a kid, like a teenager again. <laughs> well, I have two. One was... Ironically, my ex-husband introduced me to macaroons, which are not very common in Mexico because they're French made or something. So whenever he went to Mexico City, he will bring like this offer of macaroons. And I, oh. I could eat that like until I, I mean, I don't eat more because they don't sell them here, but that's like my best thing. But it didn't really change my life. But one thing after my divorce, <laughs> I decided that I have always wanted, you know, to hoard dogs because <laughs> he didn't like dogs a lot. So I started like rescuing dogs and right now I have three, but I have had five. And I guess that changed, like to be able to have all the dogs I want and sleep with them in my bed. That's really changed my, my life so much that I don't think about uh, romance anymore. Uh -huh. <laughs> After just, just like I have my books and my dogs and macaroons and coffee <laughs> and all for life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, very and, cool. And I'm not bitter, yeah? <laughs> really. 
Tim tries lots of dogs too. So you guys could talk about the dogs. You could you could have a show on dogs. You want Tim Trash because I always man. watch his dogs. Like whenever he puts pictures of his dogs, <laughs> like <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Uh, dogs also. Um, I I was in love with dogs when I was a kid. I always wanted to have a dog, and my mom was a germaphobe and didn't want a dog in the house and she also suspected that she would have to take care of the dog while we were in school and she didn't want to do that and so on and so forth so I never had a dog and then I lost kind of track of that and I lived in Berlin for a long time and having a dog in a big city just didn't seem right and um, Berliners let their dogs just defecate wherever and so you were just constantly stepping into dog shit and um, yeah it's sad. it's it's really gross they don't they don't want to pick up and and um, are you kidding me Jeez. no they they just don't they don't pick it even, up and they, even to this day yeah it it at some point in the 90s they had a law for a year or so that you could be fined if you didn't pick up after your dog and then there was such a big pushback that they dropped that again and they didn't enforce it. So, so yeah, there's always dog poop everywhere and, and it's really annoying. And, and so that soured my relationship with dogs completely. And when I, when I married my wife, she said she wanted a dog and um, I was like, okay. And then we got a dog in 2006 and a few years later we had three dogs and while that was a lot to take care of and a lot of commotion constantly sort of in the house, it, it was lovely just to have three dogs. And in my dream really is to move somewhere cheap where I can afford a bit of land and just have dogs on the land and just a little house and just, just have dogs and take care of them. That, that would be really cool. So yeah, dogs, definitely dogs. Yeah. If you go to Mexico City to like Colonia Condesa or Colonia Roma, it's like every single person has a dog and they have like really fancy dogs. It's like, you know, a status thing. Like it's, there's, oh. there must be this kind of competition. Like, you oh. know, I have a really expensive dog. How much your, cost, your dog costs? Because it's like a, a like a fashion show of um, some some kind of beauty contest. Of yeah. dogs, if you go to these to these places. In general, I think that it's a pretty clean place. I think that the culture has changed and people pick up their uh, dog shit. But when I lived in Argentina in Buenos Aires and first and then in Tandil, there was dog shit everywhere, and it was horrible because you feel like you know you're walking on a minefield. <laughs> I don't like to step on dog shit. I have a problem with dog shit. So I'm glad that you two are responsible dog owners and citizens, and you pick yes. up. Oh, we pick up. Yeah, I think my I take mine to the outs, the outside of the city, where there is some like cows and that. So they run, and I don't pick their shed there. But no, if they do in the city, of course I do. Yeah. <laughs> do Do you make your own macaroons by now? No, I'm not very good at but like if I did if I made them, maybe they will lose their magic. So yeah. I prefer yeah. not, not to have them for like last year I went to visit a friend in Zurich 
and oh. she took me so, to some places where they had macaroons and I was like, oh my God, this is celestial. <laughs> so, so I keep myself for a special occasion in macaroon wise. <laughs> we, we have a lot of macaroons in the Bay Area. I mean, you go everywhere and they have macaroons, but I never know where does it come from? Where What's the origin of the macaroon, Liliana? I was, I have always believed that they are like French. I don't know. Are they? I don't know. Maybe. Sounds like macaroon. I think it's they're macaroon. from yes. macaroon. Oui. They must be French. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pr probably French. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything that that hit you later in life, Joaquin? Oh, my turn. Um, I don't think so. I, I already spoke of my child. I think that that was the biggest thing that happened to me late in life because I'm an older dad. I was 45 when my child was born. And then I'm sure there were a lot of things in between my my childhood and, and my child that I maybe not allowed to discuss in public just to avoid getting into trouble <laughs> that I have been interested in in doing and that I have discovered. Like you know my son he's 15 so he he's always asking me what kind of drugs did you do? And I'm like very hesitant to tell him the truth <laughs> because I don't think he should know every single thing that I've done. And I always tell him, well, one day you are going to read my books and, you know, you'll have a better sense of who I am. But even in the books, you're not really you, you know. The books just say a part of the story and you disguise yourself a little bit behind some of your characters. But it wouldn't be like, you know, like an accurate picture of, of me because that's not how it works. But there are a lot of things that I, that I, I of course have loved I, I have loved music i have loved wine i have loved cigarettes um you know the kind of things i have loved probably let me think going to a bar having a drink and having a cigarette that's one of the best things that i ever did for many many years i remember going to tosca cafe in san francisco going to the back room when it was not allowed smoking had been already uh prohibited in the city so we'll go to the back room with the owner of the of the joint and just to smoke and drink martinis that's love that was beautiful that was pure poetry cool very cool we gotta come to our recommendations the fdf recommendations try at your own risk liliana what can you recommend oh i just I something that I'm reading right now and I'm like like mesmerized just I like that word in English and I don't get to use it a lot <laughs> this book that is also a very beautiful edition by Valdemar and it's called um, Melmoth Elerabundo I guess it's Melmoth the Wanderer from this um, Charles wow. Maturin it's a novel from 1820 and it has a devil. Uh, it's amazing. It's when oh wow! It's amazing. I I've discovered by chance. Uh, <laughs> I was in the Monterrey Book Fair, and one of my readers came for me to sign my one of my books, and and he was carrying this, and I saw that cover, and I was like, what is that? And he said like, oh, it was it's so hard to find, but they have it somewhere, and I bought it, and I am like 
really enjoying it. It has like a thousand pages. So the pleasure really lasts. Oh, so I really wow. recommend it if you like uh, exorcism, packs with the devil, um, oh, wow. Wow. very beautiful prose, like Poe, Turbo Poe. So, that sounds amazing. Actually, I have good news for everyone. I just found it on Kindle for free. Oh. You can, you can no, actually, no, it's not for free. It's 99 cents, the Kindle version of Melmoth the Wanderer. Look at this beauty. You should get it. Yeah, it, it yeah. should be the it should be yeah, the paper. I know. I well, if you want to buy it, it's uh, available on Kindle on, on Penguin, the Penguin English Library. Yeah, that's a big fat book. Like <laughs> that's like a status those bandidos de Rio Frio. You can but I don't that. hate, I don't hate. <laughs> I don't hate I don't hate Kindle. You know, it's like there is no smell, there is no scent, but you know, it's like so convenient if you're flying somewhere. And yeah. If you want to exercise, get uh get the hardcover of Melmoth the Wanderer. Yeah, you um, can do it. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> like you were like, Ooh. Well, I love yeah. that recommendation. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I wanna recommend a TV series on HBO. It's Los Espookies. And it's it's a show. Uh, there are two seasons of six episodes each about uh, several queer characters uh, who are totally into horror and are doing uh, working sort of with masks and other things when, when people want to scare others or if they need like something to look scary, then they hire the Los Espookies. And it's a, it's a really bizarre show in, in many ways. It, it, it sometimes it reminds me of, of uh, Portlandia, sort of in the tone, and actually Fred Armisen is in there too, sort of a minor character too. But um, it's it's often very absurd. The humor is very absurd. It's kind of often funny because it's not really funny, and it's just lovely. And it's it's a totally different point of view. Uh, the characters are very different from your standard sort of horror characters or spooky characters and it's also it's also a really weird commentary on what's going on sort of in in everyday society and how people are being looked at and it makes fun i mean mercilessly of of really everyone and especially of americans americans are always like completely nuts in there so lots of spookies on HBO. Joaquin, what is yours? Yeah, I love that show. I just want to say that I watched a few episodes of the first season and then I stopped. I don't know why, but I, I thought it was really funny. Yeah. It gave me a little bit of what we do in the shadows, which is a, like a vampire uh -huh. show that's also, you know, sort of a spin off of uh, Dracula, you know, uh, yes. sort of vampire thing that, that's also a lot of fun. Um, Okay, I, I'm reading right now, and really, you were talking about Umberto Eco. This is an introduction with an introduction by Umberto Eco. Edmondo de Amici's Constantinople, and it's a book from the 19, um, 
century. Of, uh, De Amici was a very popular Italian writer who wrote a book called Cuore Corazon. That was very, very famous when I was a little kid. Yeah, I read it. My favorite. <laughs> yeah. Weird Corazon. It was so corny and so weird. You know, it's like so over sentimental story about this child in Italy. And, uh, but the Amici wrote uh, this book of his travel. It's like a like a travel book, a travel journal, a journalism kind of thing of his uh, trips to to Constantinople. Because I'm going to Istanbul in the in the summer, mm. and uh, I just want to get a, a sense of Istanbul back, you know, a hundred years ago or more than a hundred years ago. Yeah. And sort of contrast that with the Istanbul of Orhan Pamuk, for instance, that I have also read in the past, and I'm also reading right now. So I'm I'm just interested in 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 the topic of of Istanbul and uh, and the old Ottoman Empire. Wow, that sounds really interesting. Very cool. Thank you, Liliana, so much for coming on the show today. It was so nice to talk to you and to yeah. see you again. You should invite me again. It was so nice to chat with you. I know, I know. We'll invite, you, we'll invite you like next time and the next one. We'll yes. no <laughs> Remember, I have a valid visa, so we can also like... Oh, <laughs> nice. Yes, yes. You have always a place to stay. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah but it's so nice to see you again. Thank you. This was a nice chat. The music was by Springtide. It's the Coney Island Train Blues, and it comes to us via the free music archive. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you again in two weeks. Bye-bye, everybody. Adios. Adios, amigos.